Buddies. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. To the Outstanding Ohioan Show. Thank you for the Outstanding Ohioan Show. Hosted by my daddy. Hosted by my daddy. Thank you, Ryan and Sawyer, for that great introduction. Indeed, this is the Outstanding Ohioan Show. I believe Ohio and the people of Ohio have an incredible, wide-ranging, and proud impact that needs to be shared with the world. And it's always been that way throughout the history of the United States. The job of the Outstanding Ohioans podcast is to share these remarkable success stories with an intelligent and curious audience. The Outstanding Ohioans podcast connects to highly accomplished people in all walks of life and shares their secrets to success. And today we've got another great success story to share with you. Thank you for listening. And please leave your comments on iTunes, Stitcher, or the blog post. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. Hello, thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioan Show. This is Ron Silico, and this is episode 48 of the show. Today, is, as my special guest, I have Larry Slocum, who is a Conscious Discipline Certified Instructor, and his mission, and it's a great one, is to provide guidance to parents and teachers on how to stay calm in the middle of chaos. And for those of you that have ever dealt with kids, chaos is an everyday situation. <laughs> Larry, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ron. Glad to be here. So I'm, I'm so interested in your journey. And for the audience, Larry has been working with the teachers at the school that my children go to, and that's how I met Larry. And one session with Larry, I was hooked. And he's a great teacher. He's a great instructor. And I kept wanting to know more, wanting to know more about this conscious, conscious discipline process. But we'll get to that in a moment. Larry, share a little bit for the audience where you grew up and what was your environment like. Sure. So I grew up in Fremont, Michigan, um, back in the, I guess, in the 60s. And I had seven kids in my family and mom and dad that loved us. And it was one of those things where we weren't exactly, well, as President Reagan said, we didn't uh, live next to the tracks, but we heard the whistle real good. And so we, we just had a kind, loving family, and yet, there, like every family, we had our issues and things that went, went on and lots of crazy um, stuff that, that, that kids go through. So then I grew up, um, became, uh, 19 years old, I wanted to teach music to uh, elementary kids, but I didn't want to really teach music. I wanted to use music to help teachers teach math and science and English. So I got my degree in elementary education and music education so that I could could do that. And I got out of college and got my first job, and I loved the job, and they loved me. And at the end of the year, my principal said, oh, my gosh, guess what? We can't pay you because we have no money. So I got laid off. I got laid off again, got laid off again, got laid off, got laid off four times. And this time I had a child and wife. And so my father-in-law said, well, you could sell insurance. We want to sell insurance. But it turns out that I liked it because I love people like you do, and I'm sure your audience does. And my mom said that I had a gene that went bad because I love to read insurance policies. That's weird, but that's true. And so for 25 years, I sold insurance. And it was my father-in-law's business when I started, and then I took it over. And then there wasn't a week, a day that didn't go by that I didn't say, I could be helping kids, I could be helping teachers. So it never left me, the idea of being able to be able to 
teach. And so after 25 years, I sold my business, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So I started out. Um, a there's a train whistle you just talked Yeah, there's about. a train whistle. I heard it. Woo! Yeah. So um, anyway, so I, I, um, I started out. My buddy said, hey, you could um, teach music to these Head Start kids in Butler County. I said, okay. It was paid for by our local arts council. So I would go into there, to the classrooms, and I would sing for half an hour with the teachers, and then I would go on to the next classroom and go on to the next classroom, then jump in my car and go to the next place. I had like 900 kids every two weeks I would see. It was a blast. And then one day, one of the teachers said, hey, we're going to be using conscious discipline as a social-emotional curriculum. And I went, what's that? So I got online, I started researching it, and I thought, oh my gosh, I've come home. Because conscious discipline uses music to help teach a more fundamental thing than math or science, self-regulation. The ability to set a goal and work toward achieving it without getting distracted by this and that. And, oh, squirrel, or, you know, there's the computer. I want the candy. And being able to um, see that and help the teachers. So, anyway, I went down to the training in Florida with Becky Bailey in 2008, I think it was. Went down there and... At the first day, she started telling, talking about all these conscious discipline concepts, which were, you know, what you focus on, you get more of. And so, if you go, if your if your children are fighting and you go to the aggressor, so what, if you focus on the aggressor first, what are you going to get more of? Aggression. So we want to go to the victim first. So we we tell the victim that we focus on healing instead of hurting. Anyway, after a couple hours of that, I put my pen down, and, and she said, well, she said, I'm, I, all the stuff is in this book I wrote, and I put my pen down, and I said, I'm just going to enjoy the training. And by that afternoon, I knew that I wanted to become a Conscious Discipline Certified Instructor. So uh, a year later, I was, and I've been on the journey ever since, um, teaching, working, training, and just, it's, uh, it's been a blast meeting people like you and doing the trainings at the centers. I've been all over the state, the country. It's, it's just been a blast. So let's backtrack a little bit. Okay. Two questions. Who were your role models growing up, and what do you think spawned this interest in working with children and, and wanting to better their situation? Okay. Um, growing up, I had a, um, a lot of time in Boy Scout camp. Having seven kids in the family, and coming from some, my family wasn't exactly all, you know, June Cleaver and leave it to Beaver. It was it was pretty rough. So I would spend a lot of time at Boy Scout camps, and there were several directors there at Boy Scout camp that I really loved. And the I always I always uh, gravitated towards the chaplain and, and the going to the service, and I just really found that there was a deep seated faith, I guess, from that Boy Scout camp. A couple of young life uh, young life and Boy Scout. Boy Scouts were really why I'm here today. I think without those two organizations, I don't know where I would have drifted to. Um, but the, the Young Life, I remember a time in high school where I had gotten in trouble and the Young Life minister was able to take me aside and kind of talk me down off the ledge, and it was a good thing. Then, having those two basis for my life, then I always wanted to help kids. I can't tell you why. Uh, when my brother was born, my youngest brother, Jeff, was born, uh, my mom came home from the hospital and said, well, what do we want to name him? Because, <laughs> you know, after seven kids. So we're looking through the phone book <laughs> and come up with Jeffrey Andrew. And, 
But from the moment he came home from the hospital, I just wanted to be part of his life. I'd change his diaper, I would, I would bathe him, I would do everything to help him and, and to be, just to, just to be there with him. Um, so, that was one, from there, I just would, at the Boy Scout camp, I just loved helping kids. I loved helping the boys, I loved teaching, I was on the waterfront and, and became the waterfront director. I spent like 10 summers at the Boy Scout camp. The teaching, the kids, the, the, the water, it just was all very exciting to me. So that's where my love of music came from, was from young life, because they used music a lot, and then also Boy Scout camp, which was, so that's where the kids and the music came together to say, I want to do that. So when I got out and I sold my business, I started down, what am I going to do? And I said, I had three goals that I set out. One is that I wanted everything that I did to deal with children or music or teaching. That's what it had to be. If it didn't do those things, then I didn't want to do it. So I didn't want to sell more insurance. I didn't want to sell computer programs, which I looked at doing. I didn't want to, I wanted to deal with kids, music, and teaching. And that's when my buddy said, hey, you can you know, come to all these head starts and do that. And that became it. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. So you go to college. Where did you go? Western and... Michigan University. Okay. You guys play them here. Yeah. And I, uh, yep, so you were a rival, but not that big a deal. And then did you meet your wife in school? <laughs> she was my uh, instructor at oh. school. She was the woodshop teacher. I was looking, my junior year, I was looking for a class to fill up an elective. And I found this class called Industrial Education for the Elementary Teacher. And she was the instructor. I walked into her class. Now that's that's interesting in and of itself. Yeah. She had just gotten her master's degree in industrial education. She was the first woman in uh, Western Michigan University to get her master's in industrial education. She has an art and theater background. And so building, when she was five years old, she tells people that, you know, her dad had an addition built on the house. And she put on her overalls and get her hammer. And she would tell those guys, what do you want to do when you grow up? And she says, I'm going to be just like you. I'm going to be a contractor. So she, in theater, there's a lot of building, a set construction, and art. And so she was, after college, looking around for something to do and came into the Western Michigan University program. And um, they said, hey, join us. And so she did. And, and at the end of the time, she graduated, then she came back to do one more class. And then I walked into her class, and our lives have never been the same ever since. <laughs> so... Uh, it was about three weeks into class. She took me aside and she said, you know what? If you don't marry me, I'm not going to give you an A. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't say that. But it, it, I walked into the class and from that moment I saw her, I thought, this is going to be a tough class. I'm not going to be able to focus. And we started dating after uh, the class. And then uh, I met her in September. And then that next August we were married. And that was 38 years ago. 39 years this August, so it's, um, she, if that's, if you want to know the hero of my life now, that would be her, mm -hmm. she's just such, got so, plus in college, you know, um, and, and she was a, you know, industrial ed teacher, she had better tools than I did, so I knew I had to marry her if I wanted to, <laughs> I have those tools that she yeah. had, um, yeah. So, so you, you both graduate from college, you get married, 
Yeah. Where do you, is it, you moved to Butler County? No, no, no. We were up in Michigan. And okay. uh, so I was teaching in Delton, Michigan, then teaching in Dwajek, Michigan, and I kept getting laid off. And then we moved down here and started working with her dad. Okay. And her dad provided a, a, some guidance and some stability for me that I didn't have. And so it was huge. It was hugely important that I go into the insurance business at that moment and spend some time understanding. And it's really been very helpful for me because after running, you know, it's a $3 million business. You run a $3 million business, you know, <laughs> you got to know accounting, you got to know mm -hmm. people, you got, you're hiring people. You're, mm -hmm. So that, that gave me a lot of insight when I walk into a school, I know what the principal's going through. I can, I've been in their shoes and mm -hmm. I can help them understand it, plus teachers. And I'm a dad, I've got two daughters, biologically, another daughter we adopted. And so I've got one granddaughter and I've been down the pike. I understand what it's like when you're tired and, you're, and your daughter just dumped a half a gallon of milk on the floor and you're just, oh, now what am I gonna do? So your wife was from Hamilton? She's from Hamilton, yeah. Okay. I grew up in Michigan and then she, I met her at university, and then we got married, and then she didn't want to move back to Hamilton, but <laughs> we, we had to because of the job situation. And and then we took care of her parents. We actually built a house right next door to her parents, okay. and so we lived like across the field from them and, um, for 25 years, and, and that was a wonderful experience for our daughters growing up. Mm -hmm. And so she grew up here um, in Hamilton, graduated I <laughs> so you're in the insurance business and you had some success with it what what were some of the keys that you feel to your success and then how did you translate it as you went oh, into the conscious discipline sure well you know in, in insurance if i walked into your house with you and your wife and i was gonna you know we're gonna talk about insurance and i'm possibly going to get you business. If I didn't walk out with a check, then I would starve. Mm -hmm. So I had to be very, very careful to help you understand what insurance was. So that's why I approached it that way. I approached it as an education for you. Mm -hmm. And I wanted you to understand it. I wanted you to be able to uh, look at it realistically. And I wanted to be able to, so I needed to be Insurance is rather complicated, and I didn't want to use that language, so I translated it into common language and tried to make it so I could be accessible. I needed to tell you what was going to happen if you had a claim so that you would know what, know what to expect. And then if it happened as I explained, yes. And if it didn't, then I needed to figure out why it wasn't happening and make it happen. Or, yeah, so I did that, and that's what would happen. So now I use the same thing because psychology and you know neuroscience, it's very complicated stuff. And I want to translate that for you and your wife so you can use it in the moment when you do that. That's why we talk about, like I'm going to do a training, I'm going to call it, um, um, what is connection? I'll take what is connection for $500. <laughs> what is, uh, I'll take, I'll take, yeah, what is, no, no, I'll take connection, I'll take this in jeopardy. I'll take connections for $500. What is an I love you ritual? And so that would be, then what do we talk about when I say an I love you ritual? What does that mean? How does cooperation follow connection? I try to take 
little phrases that, that are hugely steeped in psychology and make it simple so that you guys can take it back, kind of like political candidates do or Nike with their little swoop or something <laughs> like that. So in the insurance business then, um, being able to translate that and understanding it, so I became a student of insurance and really studied it, started working toward a master's in insurance, and um, so I understood it so I could then translate it. So that's been helpful now because now I'm taking neuroscience classes, I'm taking psychology classes, behavior classes. I even just finished a quantum physics class hmm. because I think it's fascinating to understand what happens at the subatomic level. Is it? subatomic level is the same, it, it's just a little bigger for how you and your son interact. It's crazy how that mm -hmm. mirrors. But I don't want everybody to take a, neuros, a neuroscience class. I mean, I do want you to do it, but no one's, they're not going to necessarily. Mm -hmm. So I need to take out those bits of information and use it, uh, what I find to be helpful. The other part of it, I think, which is interesting is that when I was in the insurance business, I had a guy come to me and he wanted me to insure his business and he had this laser apparatus that you put on the back of a truck and then you, you put it on the back of a railroad track and then you measure the railroad tracks as to whether they're even, whether they split apart a little bit so that they can send the maintenance crew. At the time, all there was was a, it's a very unsophisticated way of doing it. It was very electronics and all geared that way. And this guy created this new thing and he said, hey, I want you to insure it. And I said, man, this is going to be hard. Well, not meaning I couldn't do it, in my mind, but for him, he thought, oh. And he was, he was a friend, acquaintance. So uh, three weeks later, I came to him with the proposal, and he said, oh, I already got insurance. I said, what? Yeah, well, you told me it was going to be hard. Uh, I was like, no. I lost a $17,000 commission. And he showed me what he bought. It was the same thing. But he went out, because I said it's going to be hard. So you know what? I don't say that anymore. I say, absolutely, we can do that. We can help you. So how does that translate? When someone walks up to me and they're just, they've got a question that's, that, that I can't answer, I have no idea what to, how to answer that. Or it's not my expertise. I don't say, well, I can't answer it. I say, you know what? Let's work on that together. Let's see if we can figure something out on that. Because, you know, we must be able to do something. Because you guys are, parents are busy. Busy people. You've got jobs. You've got, and then the kids, they create their, oh. And you're not going to take time and research that whole thing unless you've got somebody shoulder to shoulder with you. And that's what I want to do. I want to come alongside. And in the insurance business, if I write your insurance, which I would have, by the way, <laughs> and you have an accident, you're not a happy boy. So you're calling me stressed out. And so... I learned over the years how to deal with that anxiety, how to deal with that stress. And parents dealing with children or teachers dealing with children, they're very stressed. It's, it, they're just, it's stress all the time. And so the training that I got year after year, person after person that would call me up with a car accident, I would go see them. Or you, you, I, was, I remember one night I got called at 1230 if uh, a client's house was on fire in Hamilton. So I went over to him, and, I, and there he was. He was facing the, the house. He had five children. They were all out in the yard. And I went up and I put my hands on his shoulder, and he turned around and gave me a big hug. And I said, you got a place to go? He said, no, I don't have any money. His credit card was maxed out. I said, hey, let's go. So we put him in the car. We head him down to the hotel, and we do it the next day. We'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. So when you have that kind of trauma that comes at you, uh, I spend a lot of time studying about 
psychology and understanding about people. So all the way through these years, I've been studying that stuff, but not in the context of, you know, um, how to prevent it and the stuff that I was talking about with you. Does that make sense? It does. So you become a certified instructor. So before the interview, we were having the conversation we were having. You said there's 4,000 books on raising kids, or probably more than that. <laughs> huge amount. What, what is conscious discipline, if you could summarize it, and what, what's the differentiator between this and the, the other methodologies that are out there? I think it comes down to a couple of different phrases. You might read a book that says, have your children breathe if they're trauma. Count to ten. What conscious discipline says is, breathe with me. You say to your child, breathe with me. And then you take this huge, deep, calming breath. So I teach you how to breathe so that your heart will calm because your heart regulates their heart. If you go to heartmath.com, heartmath, M-A-T-H, heartmath.com, you can actually see the science behind that and understanding, boy, this happened back in the 60s when the astronauts got into the spaceships. They found that the computers started to go a little screwy. And then we found energy coming off of us. Not huge amounts of energy. You can't light a light with it, but it's a lot of energy coming off. So they had to then shield the computer from the energy. So that energy that comes off of you, and you know it too. You've got somebody that comes into the room and you meet them for the first time and you go, uh, you know what, I don't need to see that person anymore. There's something about them you just doesn't quite gel. What is that doesn't quite gel? And that's that energy that, that, that goes out. Your heart goes out and says, well, your brain says to your heart, am I safe? And your heart says, let me check. So you've got a head brain, you've got a heart brain, and we've also found some neuro tissue in the gut. So you've got a gut brain that kind of takes care of all that going on. It's a, our bodies are so dang complicated. Mm -hmm. So conscious discipline, in a nutshell, says that. I also look at it this way. If um, you've got this big buffet, and on this buffet, from a teacher point of view, you have on this buffet, you have succulent science, and mashed potato math, and ready-to-eat ready to reading. And you walk up to this buffet, <laughs> and you look, and you go, where are the plates? I don't see any plates. You could, you could eat the buffet, but it'd be a big mess. So the plates are really self-regulation. Being able to, again, set that goal and focus on the goal Despite distractions, you work towards the goal. That's what the plate is. And conscious discipline then uses, it doesn't really, and we don't really invent anything. All these studies, although we are doing some studies, but not anything like, you know, all these psychologists that are out there doing this stuff. So you want to take that idea of calmness and that idea of your heart regulating their heart. That, to me, is what keeps me interested in. Because I want to know what I'm thinking and feeling. I think everybody does. But as a guy, you know, we're raised with, I was raised with, you cry like your sister. Brush it off, you'll be fine. And they're really saying to you, stop smelling the popcorn. And when you're upset, you can't stop being upset. You can, but, it, you know, emotions aren't just, they're just buried alive. Unless you deal with them, they're buried alive. 
So all of us carry trauma. You know, what do they say? Um, you don't get through childhood unscathed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what conscious discipline does for me. It helps me understand that I need to stay calm. And if I stay calm, then my brilliance will come out. And a little bit of psychology, a little bit of understanding consequences, a little bit of understanding choices, you know, you have to give your children choices. And marketing people know that if I'm at the bookstore and there's a Miami University t-shirt and then there's another Miami University sweatshirt, if I have a couple of choices, I'm gonna the chances of me buying something are way increased, huge increase. But the problem is if you put just one t-shirt, there's Miami University, there it is. You can get any size you want, but that's it. You won't sell hardly any of them. Because if you aren't given a choice, the brain literally looks at you as like a lion coming at them. So why, if marketers know they're going to sell more stuff, why do we say to our kids, go to bed, go to bed, get to bed right now, you get to bed. Why do we say, hey, listen, you can climb on my back and we can go to bed, or you can take my hand and hop like a bunny to bed. Which is best for you? And then give them a minute to process, and then they go. Now, that's, that's, that's out there. I mean, that's not, we didn't invent that. That's there. Choices. We know that. But what it does is conscious discipline puts us into a, a usable format that I think is, is just very um, easy to follow, as you, as you saw and now I can take this little tiny thing and I can do this. Because if I ask you to do four things, I'm going to give you a training and I've got you four things that you're going to do. You're going to leave this training and you're not going to do any of them because you're going to get overloaded. I always say, what one thing are you going to do? So connection is the most important thing because cooperation follows connection. Without connection, you got nothing. Why did those eight people get killed in Pike County? Why did we have so much violence? Because people were not connected. We're not connected. So being around athletics for a long time, and I want to, I want to try and give an example that mm-hmm. that can tie into this. The concept that Mike Shashevsky talks a lot about at Duke is next play. Something bad happens during the course of a game or a practice. Saying next play, you can recover and move to on recover and move on. How can that apply to conscious discipline? And the reason I ask is for all those valuable times where we have an opportunity to be calm and have reflection, sometimes we're in the flow of an activity and it's it's hard to draw back. You've gotta you gotta move on and you gotta you've gotta keep pushing forward and then revisit it at some point later. How how, how can conscious discipline Right. The next play so concept. you're at so you're at Disney World and and you know you just got him an ice cream cone and it's late and everybody's hot and the ice cream cone's drip, dripping over everything and it's getting sticky and and you you're ready to flip your lid and you know you're and everybody's just it's just not a happy time so you're looking at that and you're going okay what am I gonna do here and of course you know in, in sports if you if you plan for that uh, activity, if you plan, you know, let's do some practice here. And you, you say, okay, we have enough water. Check. We got this. Check. We got this. Check. We're gonna. We're leaving at 4:30 because we know our son 
that's his time when his computer shuts down. He's not going to be a happy boy if we stay at 435. All of a sudden, it's quarter of five. Because, Dad, I want to do one more ride. Okay, and you capitulate because you're not feeling like you, you, know, you want to be assertive like you could have been. And then it happens. We all explode. You get mad at your wife. Your wife gets mad at you. The kids are upset. Kids are crying. And what do you do? Next play. All right, let's all take a deep breath. Let's just sit over here in the shade and let's just stop. And how do you then stop? Well, you have to practice that ahead of time. You've got to practice the breathing. All the kids in your family got to know how to breathe. You got to do I love you, Richard. So your child's just looking at you with ice cream down them and they're just crying. And rather than saying, that's enough, stop it. You say, son, it's hard. And you just breathe. It's hard. And you get the ice cream on your shirt and you don't care. It's tough. Let's breathe some more. And you get the whole family. And everybody that's looking at you, you look at them and you go, hey, just breathe for us over here. Okay, just take a breath for us because we need it right now. <laughs> and they don't. You, you think they're looking at you and judging you as a terrible parent. Why could you let your son do this? Well, you know, you got some sunburn. Who knows? So the next play is going to be, let's all take that deep breath. Let's all breathe. Let's work through that. You all work through it. You get something in you. And you walk to the car and it's a rental car or you walk back to the hotel. You get some breath. You take some time. You order in something. And then... You go, okay. And you wake up an hour later from a nap and you go, okay, how are we going to do this different? <laughs> Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Well, kind of. Okay. Sometimes you're in that situation where you don't have that ability to get out of a fast pace. Oh. How do you, is it oh. something, because of the intentional practice that you're doing? Yeah. You, You've you can got to, help, you can got, help kids train to get to that mindset. You've got to understand that kids, if you try and comply a child to your world, good luck. Mm -hmm. You're going to get pushed back every minute of the day. Mm -hmm. So you have to slow it down. Kids don't like, kids don't like um, fast pace. They don't, they, we're not built. They're not built. They want to slow it down. They want to see. They want to ask questions. They want to grow. Mm -hmm. And you're moving on because you've already experienced it all and you've done it all. And they're like, no, 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 hey, 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 over here, over here. And, and then they don't say it that way. Mm -hmm. They melt down the floor like your son did the other day. Mm -hmm. They just melt down the floor and just like they're crying. And you're like, we've talked about this. Let's go. Instead of taking in a minute, you know, and you were able to do that. You had time. But most, you know, sometimes parents, they're like, you know, 7.45, we have to leave the house. I was talking to a teacher one time, and she had to leave the house at 7.45. She has a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. She looks out in the living room, and the daughter's playing in the living room, so she goes back in the kitchen, and then all of a sudden the daughter comes trundling into the kitchen, stark naked. She goes, ah! And so she starts calmly getting the child dressed and getting them ready, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, get in the car seat, get in the car seat, car seat! And she said, car seat! And then she's, mm, she, got, she flipped her lid, she got upset, and the little girl looked at her, laughed, turned the other way, and ran. Now, children will laugh because they take fear and they don't know what to do with it, and they just turn it into a game. So that was a situation where she's under the time crunch, the daughter's under the time crunch, it, and, and who's, the, who's the fallout person? The daughter. 
So you've got to really examine that if you're having kids and you're in that struggle. How do you take those moments and just stop? And so that's why I'll talk with you and I'll say, okay, tell me your day. If you take, um, if you take a child in a morning routine and you take a picture of them at the breakfast table, Take a picture of them getting dressed. Take a picture of them brushing their teeth. Take a picture of them getting their backpack ready. And then you create this picture rule schedule, this picture schedule. And you have them check mark all the little things that are they're doing. So did you eat breakfast? Yep, okay. Grease pencil, you just check mark it, picture schedule. And then you do, okay, what's next? Because remember, boys under the age of 10 and girls under 8 don't have inner speech. So if they don't have inner speech, they can't say to themselves, okay, while they're eating breakfast, they can't say, all right, after breakfast, i got to go get dressed. After they eat breakfast, they're going to go, I'm just going to go play. Because they don't have a speech that says, that's why your son, you say to your son, now, listen, son, no candy at the store. No candy. Tell me, no candy. No candy, because you're going in the grocery store. He goes, no candy, Dad, no candy. And then you say, all right, I've got a little package of carrots here for you. So if you're feeling hungry, just take those carrots out, eat those carrots. The minute you go by the candy aisle, he's going to go, candy! And you're going to go, no! And there may be a meltdown. He wants, I want candy! Eat your carrots! Because they don't have inner speech. They don't have something that says, hey, if I talk about this candy, it ain't going to look pretty. So you've got to understand that we have to have pictures. In the store, there's going to be a candy aisle. See that candy aisle? Yeah, that candy aisle. And you're going to want that. So here's you saying, no candy. Just like have the a picture of me. No candy. Now, is he going to want candy? Might. I don't know. But the visual is going to help him understand that. So you've got to use visual. Anytime you have chaos, use visuals. So even if you've got a fast-paced life, you still want to be able to use visuals with them. Because they think in pictures. They don't think in words. You and your wife can sit and talk about, yeah, I'm going to the store, then i got to stop at the, uh, oh, and i got to do this, and i got to get oil changed in the car, then I'll be home. Perfect. You tell your son that, he's going to hear the first couple of things, and he's just going to check out. When are we going to be home, Dad? When are we going to get here? Well, if you want to answer that question, you could have him with a map and show, put a little pin. This is where we are right here. And the pin, we'll move the pin as we go along. And so visual, they will never ask you that question again. Because we don't answer it in a way that they understand. So what appears to you as a thing of they're trying to push back at you and trying to, they're just doing everything they can to get, get, get me upset. No, they're just being themselves and you're not paying attention to it. So you want to be able to then, again at nighttime, you want to have, okay, we're going to eat supper, click. We're going to go outside and play, click. We're going to come in and get our bath, and you take a picture of the tub, and then you then you say we're going to have our jammies, and then you, you know six or seven things. So we're going to read stories, lights out, there you are. And each time they move a clothespin, they check it, and you know what will happen? Your younger brother, young the brothers, will start to help each other in the morning, especially. Hey, you haven't got your stuff done. I can help you do the kitty cat box. You're like, that never happened before, because. We put it in a way that they understand. So if you're busy, if you've got lots of things to do, the trouble is it, we, it adds to that because we don't understand that when we flip our lid, when we get upset, you just now have added 10 minutes to your day. Flat out. And now you're even more upset. You're, uh, and not every day, of course, but 
on those days when, you know, your son sitting down on the floor, melting down because for crying out loud, you forgot the backpack. How could you walk out of the house with a backpack, Dad? I mean, for, aren't you a good dad? <laughs> sure you are, but you just forgot the backpack. Deal with it, son. No, my world has come to an end. <laughs> so that's when you just take that deep breath, sit with them, do an I love your ritualism, round and round the garden, goes the teddy bear. One step, two step, hug, breathe. And you remember when we finished, he calmed down. And there was a moment too when he started, when he started to laugh. Mm -hmm. and, and again, he took fear and turned it into a game. But then when you brought up about the backpack, he started to cry again. That was so cool to watch that happen. And then when he's going to go, he finally calmed down. It took about 10 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Then we said, let's go in the classroom. And he goes, no. And then you gave him a choice. I can go by yourself or you can take my hand. He took just a minute. And then he said, you go with me. And then you got up and went in and went on his way. The other way would have been he was Velcroed to your side. The teacher's ripping him off your leg. He's crying for 25 minutes. And then when you get back at the end of the day, he's going to go, where's my backpack? Because it doesn't stop. It doesn't go away. It's keeps bubbling in there. I'm not sure if that's being helpful. Is that, is no, that that's great. Okay. Just brought back bad memories. That's good. <laughs> you see, that's another thing, too. The, the, uh, that I wanted to mention about the, the do-over, or the next game principle. So, you know, for my children, I spanked my kids, which we know now is probably the worst thing I could have done because spanking, you know, the studies that are out there, it actually activates their sexual organs sooner than they need to be. It, it, it does a lot of crazy things. It sends them down to the lower centers of their brain. I, you know, you spank them and you think you're trying to help them, but in reality... Okay, example would be, when we get home from vacation, we have my, my family, I, we always unloaded the car. So, of course, that's what I did with my kids. So my daughter, when we got home from vacation, went over and talked to the neighbor. And she came back, and I said, you were supposed to take unload this car, SWAT, and I hit it. Now, did she think I got punished because I didn't unload the car, or did she get punished because she went over to talk to the neighbor? You're not supposed to talk to neighbors. We don't know. So now, all of a sudden, I can't have friends because I get, I, because I get punished. Or, you know, am I supposed to unload the car? We don't know. When you punish a child like that, you don't know what they're doing because you're sending them down to the lower centers of their brain. They're just, this person that I love just hit me. You know, when I think about that, I'll tear up because mm -hmm. it still bothers me today. Mm -hmm. And that next play then, that next play says, all right, but I've got to deal with that. I gotta say, all right. So now my daughter and I have, we're in a great relationship, and we've done with that. But is it? Is there still stuff in her psych, psychological profile because of that? Yes. Now she has to decide at 36 whether she wants to react this way, or take that deep breath and choose a different way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So you you go through the training. And you perhaps just shared an example from the time you raised your own children to now being a grandparent. How? What are the positive effects of you being able to implement conscious discipline in your personal situation? Well, for me personally, it's changed my marriage. It's changed my relationship with my kids. Um, 
I have become so close to my wife because I now understand what, you know, what I'm thinking and feeling. I mean, I used to say things, I would say something to her. I'd say, Mary, da 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 and she would say, that really upsets me. And I would say, no, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, that wasn't very helpful. But that's what I was thinking. That it, why would that bother you? That shouldn't bother you. Well, it does bother her, so take a deep breath and see how you can do it differently. And with, with my children having the, you know, the, everybody, like I said, no one goes through childhood unscathed. So my daughter, my youngest daughter said, um, women are socialized to not let their belly stick out. So when you take a deep breath, your belly has to go out. So women are like, oh no, that ain't happening. So you breathe from the shoulders or you just use short, shallow breaths. So that's been huge, just breathing, because when you flip your lid, there's no other way to get your lid back down than to breathe. There's nothing. If you know that anyway, or if anybody that's listening does, call me. I'd love to be able to talk about it and see, because uh, uh, there just isn't that I know of. So how's it helped me? I, I, I am so much more in tune with where I'm at. It's, it's incredible. That's why I think, you know, I'm, I'm already booked up till August, and I've got people emailing me and asking, you know, how can I... It's just working. Mm -hmm. Getting lots and lots and lots and lots of people that are. I mean, you asked me. Mm -hmm. You said, "Hey, come talk to me," mm -hmm. because it's uh, it's a combination of it's the message and it's the messenger. You got to have them both. And I feel so much more positive, so much more in touch, so much more be able to listen to you and listen to what you're asking and be able to answer your question rather than just tell you what I want you to hear. Okay, you just shut up, and I'm going to tell you what you need to know. In insurance, again, you couldn't do that. You had to listen to what you say so that I could address what your questions were rather than, okay, here's the policy, sign here, give me a check, and then you'll be happy. You're going to be happy you did this. <laughs> uh, no, thank you. Something I'm curious about, I love, and we, we've talked about this on the show with other guests, I love personal development. You're so at peace. Yeah, but yet you have such a high energy level. What are some things that you do in your daily routine to get to those states? Oh. Well, I'm a farmer's market manager here in Oxford, and that is important to me. Nutrition has always been important to me. In the sports, you know, if you don't eat, if you don't fuel the furnace right, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. So diet to me is so important. I'm not vegan. I do eat meat. Occasionally, but not very much. A lot of grains and a lot of stuff. But, you know, everybody, just like diets, I mean, there's a zillion of those out there. Mm -hmm. So we just have to work on what, what fits our schedule. Um, I pray a lot. I have a, I'm a Christian, and I believe in Christ. Um, when I was 36, I really committed. The, the piece that I found interesting was it said, you know, if you commit your life to Christ, you don't have to make these decisions anymore. All you need to do is stay in the scripture, stay in the word, stay connected. <laughs> See, connected. Mm -hmm. So if I can stay connected to Christ, the Holy Spirit then comes. And, it, and, and the Holy Spirit pours into you, but your cup is, is full of holes. And the moment the Holy Spirit stops pouring, the Holy Spirit leaves, and you no longer have the Holy Spirit. And now you're and the way you the way the Holy Spirit stops pouring is you say something like this. That's okay, God, I got this one. And then, okay, 
And when you do that, for me, it becomes way more difficult to do the things, to make the decisions to, to do that stuff. Uh, enthusiasm is from the word, you know, in, in, uh, Greek word that means with God. So my enthusiasm is rooted in that. And unless people ask, I don't necessarily tell them. Mm -hmm. Because you can, people get upset sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to upset anybody. I'm not here to, I'm up here, I'm here just to love. Mm -hmm. See, conscious discipline is about love. It's, uh, the root is love. That's why no matter what faith you are, where you can be atheist, you know, uh, whatever you want to do, it's all rooted in love. And love is what is the greatest power on earth. So if I love you, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to pay attention to you. And you're going to do the same thing for me. We're connected. Hmm. Doesn't get any better. So I exercise. I swim. I continue to swim. Um, in high school, uh, I swam in high school. I started in eighth grade. Uh, I played football. And then in eighth grade, you could decide whether you do basketball, wrestling, or swimming. Those are three sports that my high school offered. Mm -hmm. So I started out with basketball, and I loved it because I used to play sand, you know, basketball in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But then, this, the first week, uh, the coach started having us do these lines. Back, you yes. know, free throw oh, yes. back, other free throw back, half, all ah. After a week of that, I said, I'm done with running. That's just, it's not for me. So then, I did wrestling because I had, you know, two older brothers, and, and, and I thought, I'll get a leg up on them. But then the coach looks at me after a week or two and says, man, you could wrestle at about 145, but coach, I'm 150. Ah, you just lose weight. <laughs> Forget that. So I tried swimming, and growing up in Michigan, of course, everybody swims before you walk. And so I just stuck with that, and, and you know, it's, I just continued. I swim about a half an hour a day and try and go about a mile. Mm -hmm. So I go pretty hard, and that works out really well, three, four days a week. So if I rest, I get enough to sleep, I eat, I exercise, and I meditate, and I pray. Hmm. So how do you find time for all that? Well, um, pray without ceasing is a command that you're having. So if you think prayer is just hold, folding your hands and bowing your head, then you're going to be hungry. Praying is me and you talking. Praying is, is just everything. That's my philosophy. So that's where I, that's where I provide my calm. And that's where I provide my energy. Or my, that's where I get it. That's great. Have you read The Miracle Morning? Have not. Have not. It's a, it's a great book. And it, it very much encapsulates stuff that all I'm of this. Yeah. I'll have to read that. I could read that. If someone says I should read it, then that means they need to, but they ain't got it. I always tell people, don't let anybody should on you. Right. Because should sucks all your power. Say, I could. And then you have to make a decision. And decisions are power. That's what I like to tell people. Because we say, oh, I should, I should, I should. No. Yeah. So besides, I assume you're recommending the audience to learn more. I know Conscious Discipline has a YouTube channel. They're on Twitter. Read the book. Facebook has that. You can go on Facebook. There's like 65,000 like persons on Facebook. And every day you come out. And also, if you send me an email, Larry at myschoolfamily.com, I will put you on my email list. Once a week, I send out a school family minute. And I call it a minute because if it takes too longer, too, it takes longer than a minute to read, it's too long. 
So um, I'm ready to, after I leave here, I'll go home and I'll write the next one. You know, Mark Twain said, I wanted to write you a shorter letter, but I didn't have enough time. <laughs> so writing a short thing takes me about two or three hours, each one of them, but it, mm -hmm. it's well worth it for me. I have a blast. That's great. In addition to the email, and we'll put all this in the show notes, how can people get a hold of you? Oh, just call me or email me. You know, 513-505-5238, and I'd be happy to talk with them. Okay. Last question I, will, I ask every guest. Okay. What do you want your legacy to be? Uh, oh, yeah. I want my tombstone to read, he was calm. Right now, um, you know, like everybody starts, I... I was, I'm a, you know, I'm a preschool rock star. You know, when I got to do those 900, I would walk in the room and those kids would just, everything would stop. And I would be, I would just be, everybody would run around, Mr. Larry, big hugs. And it was just the most fun. Mm -hmm. And I know how to do that. I know how to do that. And I, and so I want to be able to teach people. Um, that's why I do this thing with parents. I conscious discipline. I don't want to teach in a classroom anymore. Because if I deal with just 15 kids and I just reach 15 kids, I want to talk to the teachers who then reach those 15 kids. So over the weekend, I was at a conference and I did four talks. And in those four talks, I had 600 people that came to those talks. So those 600 people go out. Do they, do they become as energetic about conscious discipline as I am? Probably not, but some of them really take it and change. I mean, I've had people say, I was ready to retire and you allowed me to continue teaching. Because they just didn't have the skills to deal with the things that are coming at them these days. You know, in Dayton, I was, I was talking about at the at the baby unit up there. What do you call the baby unit? The place you know where the babies. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, the baby unit at the Dayton Hospital, inner city. They said that 50% of the babies coming out are drug addicted. To yeah, something. something. Most of it is depression uh, medicated. So anyway, I want to be able to have a legacy that says, you know. When I met him, he was calm, and that calmness passed on to me because it's only with calmness that you can that you can be in your brilliance, that you can stay in your higher level thinking. Mm -hmm. And then do the job. As I say to people, it's through the calmness that the gift that you have to offer, Ron, your gift will manifest itself in the world. You can offer your gift only through calmness. And I don't know what that gift is. But my job is to be here so you can present that gift. Does that make sense? Wow, that's great. That's great. Well, we'll end the show on that. That's really good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioan Show. Our guest was Larry Slocum, who is a conscious discipline certified coach, among other things that we talked about in the show today. In the show notes, we will have all the information on how to reach out and connect with Larry. Thank you for tuning in, and have a great day.